Well, good evening, church. It's great to have you with us again. When life seems to swallow you whole, that's what we're going to start looking at in this next series for a few Sunday nights. So I'm not saying we'll never go back to APD, but we're just going to take a little break. And for a few weeks, I want to look at the book of Jonah. When life seems to swallow you whole, thoughts on God's will from the book of, of Jonah. And tonight we're just going to look at the first three verses. So Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, get a Bible. Let's follow along together. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. That's interesting. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Let me just, by way of introduction, there are all sorts of people that wonder whether Jonah is actually a, a real person, or this is just some kind of parable in the Old Testament. And so a lot of people kind of turn up their theological noses at the account of Jonah. But the Bible really, it won't let you do that. If you look at 2 Kings 14.25, and it reads, He restored the border of Israel from Lebohamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke to his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hephor. And so it, it, it refers to this same Jonah as, as a real, actual person. Um, if, you, if you want, if you need more, you can go to uh, the words of Jesus himself in Matthew 12, 39 to 41, Jesus answering the religious leaders and Pharisees who are calling out for more signs. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet, the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. So somehow, Jonah has to be at least as real as the people he preached to in Nineveh, unless you're prepared to say those aren't real people and Nineveh wasn't a real city and nobody's going down that road. And yet Jonas, it says he preached to those people. Just a character in a fairy tale doesn't preach to actual people in an actual city. So, John is a real person. The account is a real account. Let's look at three or four thoughts together quickly. First, I think we can all identify with the way this wondrously honest book begins. It's very down to earth, isn't it? I mean... These are not the mighty exploits of Daniel or David or the Apostle Paul. The story seems to hit the road running with this rather, a little bit, shall we say, weak 
man who isn't very keen on doing what God wants him to do, or maybe, maybe to get closer to where we are right now, we find ourselves at times the way Jonah is, if we say maybe he wanted to follow God for most of the times, but didn't want to do what God wanted him to do at some times. That gets close to us. Wanting to do God's will, but an area where we don't. That's, that's, where, that's where this book starts. And the first principle, I think of a hopeful one, from the book of Jonah is, is God talks to people like that. God works with people like that. Sometimes he has to shape and remold and correct. But God has a plan for Jonah. He has a plan for those kinds of lives. He can use ordinary people, even if at times their, their pursuit of his will is half-hearted. So this whole book of Jonah is really a story of God's great love and mercy in bringing rebellious people to himself. He does this, of course, for the Ninevites, but he also does it for Jonah. This is a God who scrapes up and salvages and redirects broken lives. Two, the second thing, God is interested in the Ninevites. That second verse, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Their evil has come up before me. Their, the city, their evil. Um, it's hard to read your Bible without getting the impression that the sins of great cities and capitals and nations come up before God, even after the city and the nation has grown used to it and isn't bothered by it. It, it, it comes up and it bothers God, that there's a God who is big enough and sovereign enough that it's not just the sins of that person or that person, but it's the sins of communities and nations. They bother God. This is where the church is commissioned. I mean, this is the work of each individual Christian. We have to be concerned with this, that God wasn't content to have these people unreached. He still isn't content to have these people unreached. He has a message for them. They need to hear it. We need to tell it. That's the second thing I see here. Third, this isn't very well liked. It's clear very clear from the text that God appointed Jonah to point out the sins of the Ninevites. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach against it. I mean, surely that's got to be a mistake. It, it, it can't be very loving to go and preach against anyone, can it? It can't be very loving to go and preach against anything. It's not how we operate. Yeah, yeah build bridges. No one is going to go to a church to be preached against. There's the cultural mindset. And then, somehow, you know, we have these, we have these Bibles. And if we're going to let them speak 
Okay, if we're not going to edit them, if we're going to let them speak for themselves, evidently God felt this was the most compassionate message for these people in Nineveh. Jonah, go preach against their sin. And, and you have to stop, all of us, I, we have to stop and say, does God know what he's doing? So his choice wasn't first to comfort these people. His, his choice first is to confront these people. And, and God apparently feels that's the most compassionate route. Doesn't fit, does it? Just doesn't fit. The other obvious point, and again, not a very comforting one, the obvious point from this text is Jonah wasn't free to choose what he wanted to say to the Ninevites. So he wasn't free to get a group together, do a consultation on what's good marketing, what are the demographics. God calls Jonah and God gives the message, and neither one is up for grabs. So he was to hold up God's standard. He was to point out where these people were missing God's standard. He was to tell them they needed to repent. And God didn't feel that was uncompassionate. And God didn't feel that was intolerant. It's very hard for us to get our heads around those specific words of biblical text. There are other passages that kind of move along this theme, and they're in the New Testament. Let me just read them real quick. Luke 11, 29 to 33, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, so here's the crowds coming around. What do you say when the crowds come? This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment. So Jesus is talking about the judgment here. He'll repeat that word. That, that's one thing in itself, that he's not afraid to talk about judgment. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And the men of Nineveh, now we're close to home. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And then these familiar words. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. And so you can't help but get the impression that right before 33, Lighting a lamp, putting it under a basket. No, put it on a stand. Those familiar words. Right before that, he's just been talking about repenting. Repenting at the preaching of Jonah. These people will need to repent at the judgment. That's the light, he says. That's what people have to see. That's what they have to hear. Here's another text, John 16, 7 to 11. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, what will he do? Well, there's an order. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, convict, 
and sin, and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So Jonah, he's to speak against the city and he's not to modify the message. God feels that's the most compassionate way. Four, Jonah doesn't like the assignment, and his response is he runs away from God. I mean, you have to wonder. He is the prophet, Jonah. I mean, I think he probably knew, in, in some deep level in his heart, he probably knew this was impossible. He probably knew the truth of, you know, Psalm 139, 7 to 10. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. I think Jonah knew God was everywhere. I think he knew that. I mean, you can't really run from God. What he's running from is, is God's will. What he's running from is duty, not his presence so much. He's trying to get away from that still small voice that's knocking at his heart. I think we're meant to learn. We're meant to learn from Jonah that this is a downhill trip. You know, when God calls you to something, when God calls you to salvation, when God calls you to service, whatever God calls you to, you can't, you can't change enough circumstances to find contentment. You can't buy enough gadgets to soothe a disobedient heart. Jonah was miserable, and he made trouble for everybody else. One way or another, this is always the root when you run away from the will of God. If not a great big fish, then something else will swallow your life whole. There are no good options to the will and call of God on a life. Five, why did Jonah disobey God? And this is really interesting because the text makes the answer clear as you work your way through the book, especially. Jonah runs away, not because he hates God, but because he hated the Ninevites. The Ninevites were enemies of the Jews. The Ninevites were haters of Israel. The Ninevites served other gods, idolatrous gods. And Jonah wasn't wild about the idea of having his enemies loved and restored to God. In fact, Jonah was more willing to have his actions shaped by Hatred of certain people more than by his love for God. Let me say that again. Mo J Jonah was more willing to have his actions shaped by hatred of certain people more than his life would be shaped by his love for God. What a lesson. What a lesson for us. It, it is so easy to write people off. It's easy to get upset with your neighbor. Hatred grows quickly in all of our hearts. And when it does, we, become, we can become more 
motivated by bitterness toward our enemies than devotion to our God. Shame on us. This is when we know our hearts are truly off-center. This is why when the scriptures call us to love our enemy, the emphasis is on saving our own relationship with God. I save myself and my relationship with God when I love my enemy. You can, you can see that in, in the New Testament in Matthew 5, 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he, that's our father in heaven, makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. He doesn't pretend that some people aren't evil. Not that. But he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you must be perfect. Of course, we're not sinless like God is. Perfect in this kind of love, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Or Proverbs 24, 17 and 18. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. You think of Jonah, right? Do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. And then if you want to see how God loves us, this idea of loving enemies, that's what Jonah didn't do. He was more motivated by his hatred of the Ninevites than his devotion to his God. And if you want to see how God models that and demonstrates that kind of love, the best text is Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person would dare even to die. A parent might lay down life for a child, something like that. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Love like that. Last point, and we'll unpack this more uh, next Sunday night. Point number six, God wasn't finished with Jonah, and everyone ought to say amen. I mean, the irony is that most people see the book of Jonah as being a stern book about God's chastening wrath and judgment. And, and God's chastening hand is certainly included. You can't whitewash it away. But, but more abundantly, it's the story of God's relentless grace. You'll see it, both for the people of Nineveh and for Jonah himself. More about that next week. Let's pray. Thanks for the account, the testimony, the witness of your word to the prophet Jonah and all we can learn from it. It is so easy to have our daily steps more motivated 
by our feelings, our feelings against our enemies than our love toward God. And so we just feel we need to pray and ask for your forgiveness and your grace. Bless your word to our hearts. Help us to walk in the truth as we're devoted to your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Next church, we'll have our prayer time. Jeff and Renata Walton will share. We'll join together in lifting their needs to the Lord. God bless you. Stay devoted to the word and love one another.